and pro... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Israel is winning battles, but Hamas is winning the war. As Israel battles its way through one of the most intense conflicts the country has experienced in recent years, the IDF is pushing how strongly it's striking Gaza and how far it's setting Hamas back in Operation Guardians of the Walls. But while the IDF is standing strong against Hamas, the country itself is being torn apart by a war from within. There are those that are attempting to lower the flames within. Some are calling for coexistence and peace. But how do you fight fear? How do you fight fear? David Limbaugh, the brother of the late Rush Limbaugh, wrote a piece a few months ago. Americans are in a spiritual war, whether we like it or not. A spiritual war, he said, is raging before our eyes, and we must suit up against it unless our lives on this side of eternity are utterly pointless. But to properly and competently fight, we must do more than just mouth the observation that we're in a spiritual war. We must embrace it in our very souls, he said. It is true as any concrete reality we can verify with our five senses. We must embrace it because we are going to need otherworldly courage to face the whirlwind forces of evil and untruth that have possessed our culture and they have brainwashed half our nation and that threaten to finally destroy America as we know and love it. But where is that spiritual war really raging? Is it just in the culture, or is it in the church? And if it's in the church, it might be in your heart. So today we want to talk about that. We want to talk about the war with fear. How to fight fear. It's the hidden war within, friends. The hidden war within. And so I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Fear is surging across the world. One form of fear is anti-Semitism that's surging worldwide in the wake of the Gaza campaign. Just as the war is raging between Israel and Gaza, the war is raging within Israel, and now the war is raging all over the world. Anti-Semitism. People hating or fearing the Jews. Yet the Jews stand courageously. They're not operating in fear. They're operating courageously. The problem with us as Christians is we have forfeited in many respects our ability to operate with courage. Our our ability to think courageously, our ability to function courageously And so fear takes hold. Jesus told us that in these times, men's hearts would fail them for fear for the things that are coming upon the earth. Many of those things have not yet come, yet people's hearts are terrified. People are terrified because of the coronavirus, COVID-19. They're terrified if and when they get a vaccine. They're terrified if for not getting the vaccine. 
They're terrified because they're wearing masks in their cars when they run in open spaces, when they ride their bicycles, and yes, in their churches, they're terrified. You see, there is a raging war within. I'm remembering the song, Just As I Am, that was made very popular by Billy Graham in his uh, crusades. Just As I Am, perhaps you remember it. Just As I Am, without one plea, but that my blood was shed for me. And the next verse says, Fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. Fightings and fears within and without. I want to ask you a question before we go further here today on Viewpoint. We're doing this program today in compassion. In compassion for those who are paralyzed with fear. Now, there aren't very many people who will admit they're paralyzed with fear. That's the problem. And if you don't admit the disease, how in the world are you ever going to seek help? Are you going to seek the physician if you don't recognize that you have a problem? The reality is people do have a problem. Christians have a problem. Pastors even have a problem. Now, that problem and that fear is masked by manipulating the Word of God and a lot of God talk, a lot of spiritual talk. But the reality is it's not about talk. It's about life. As David Limbaugh said, talking about the spiritual war within our culture, he said we must do more than just mouth the observation that we're in a spiritual war. We have to embrace it with our very souls. It's reality. We must embrace it because we're going to need otherworldly courage to face the whirlwind forces. That's right. And you're going to need that kind of courage. As the famous philosopher Gady, German philosopher Gady once said, courage lost, all lost. You've heard me mention that many times here on this program, because if there was ever a time we need courage, it's now. If there's ever a time we need to know how to fight fear, it's now. Because the Bible says that fear has torment. Indeed, it does. People I talk to that respond to this program, oftentimes they will respond, you know, I really appreciate what you're saying. It's so encouraging. What they're saying is, it's helping me to fight fear. Other people respond by saying, you know, it just stirs up my fears. Well, why does it stir up your fears? What is it about what we're doing here on Viewpoint that stirs up your fears? fears. Is it what we're doing here on Viewpoint that stirs up your fears? Or is it something more internal and unique to you and your life that is stirring up your fears? Because the reality is, fear is lurking in the membranes of your mind. It's lurking in your heart. We all know and quote so readily that God has not given us the spirit again to fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. 
Well, it's easy to mouth those words, isn't it? But when terror strikes, when fear that we like to call anxiety strikes, then what? Why is it striking so often? Why does it seem to strike some more than others? How is it that some people seem to be able to grapple with the issues of our time, no matter how painful, no matter how difficult, no matter how threatening, and others seem not to be able to do so? We want to talk about all of that here on Viewpoint Today. I hope you'll stay tuned. You may actually know somebody that's paralyzed or struggling with fear, within, without. I hope today's program will help and strengthen them and you for such a time as this. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismar. There's no question about it that we're in a spiritual war. Part of that war is a war with fear. We like to call it, euphemistically, anxiety. We never would want to call it fear. And yet some courageously or perhaps in their weakness open up and are honest and say, I am very fearful. Is that you? Are you very fearful? And what is it you're fearful about? Fear always has an object. Anxiety does not necessarily have to have an object. In fact, psychologists talk about free-floating anxiety, just a general anxious feeling. Maybe you have free-floating anxiety. Maybe you have just a general floating feeling of being anxious, but rooted deeply, it's fear. And fear has torment. The Bible says fear has torment. And apparently God knew what he was saying. Apparently he knew us better than we know ourselves. So the first question that we have to attack here is, What is the foundation for our fear? There has to be some sort of rooted foundation that is allowing us to fear as we do. There are many things that people fear. They fear war. They fear nuclear disaster. They fear economic collapse. They fear uh, COVID-19. They fear that their children are not going to uh, make it to heaven. They, I mean, it just goes on and on, doesn't it? You can finish the list for you. That is, if you can actually finish the list, it might be so long for you. So you're coming to this program just as I am. 
with fightings and fears within, without. The first thing that we need to look at is, do we really have a true, do you really have a true biblical foundation? It seems to me that that might be the place to start. Because if you don't have a biblical foundation, you are going to be subject to all of the various shakings that are going on in our world. The Bible says that everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken, so buck up. God already told you in his mercy and through his grace that things were going to be shaking and that men's hearts would fail them for fear for the things that are happening upon the earth or going to happen. But he wasn't talking about you if you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ. Because we are not to fear. The Bible encourages us continually, fear not. Fear not, little flock. Fear not. When the angels came to the shepherds on the mount, on the hillside, to introduce the coming of Christ, they said, fear not. For behold, I bring unto you Good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Well, it's one thing to know that there is a Savior, Christ the Lord. It's another thing to live as if he is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Those are two different things. And that brings us back to this issue of the foundation of what we know and believe about the Scriptures. People like to quote the passage there in Hosea, which says, uh, uh, God's people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Well, that's true, but it's not the whole truth. God's people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, but they're also destroyed because they don't put into effect the knowledge that they have. And therein lies probably one of the biggest problems that we have in fighting fear. So let's take a look where Christians are today, professing Christians in this country, the land of the free, increasingly becoming only the home of the brave. Let's find out where we are. Well, this article came out just a few weeks ago. A new study by longtime evangelical Christian researcher George Barna, who's joined us, by the way, here on this program many times over the years, says that 94% of Americans do not hold a biblical worldview. In fact, he said, most the most common worldview among Americans might be uh, termed syncretism. That is a blending today to, together of all kinds of different beliefs, including Christianity, of course. He says that uh, we're comprising our belief system of biblical theism, secular humanism, postmodernism, moralistic therapeutic deism, nihilism, Eastern mysticism, and Marxism. Americans embrace points of view or actions that feel comfortable or seem most convenient at the time. Those beliefs and behaviors are often inconsistent or even contradictory. But few Americans seem troubled by that, and that's true for many Christians today. Because we are part of we the people, right? 
So the spirit that is hovering over, the spirit of fear that is hovering over America is hovering over Christians in America. And moral therapeutic deism is the most common, with 39% possessing a moderately high number of those kinds of beliefs. And a lack of a biblical worldview is second at 31%. Okay, what does this mean? Well, from my viewpoint, a biblical worldview is one that aligns itself with everything that God has said. Whether you like it or not, whether it lines up with your own preconceived notions or what you wish things were, a biblical worldview is one that lines up point for point with what God has said. Anything less than that is, dare we say, actually bordering on heresy because it's disagreeing with what God has said. Many, many, many professing Christians are in fear precisely because they disagree with what God has said on one or more different points. I'm not kidding you. I know of people that are absolutely terrified because they've divorced their spouses and remarried when their spouses were still living. They knew in their hearts that God had spoken to the contrary, that Jesus said he hates divorce and whoever divorces their spouse commits adultery and whoever marries the one so divorced commits adultery. In their heart, they knew that, but they went forum shopping. They went forum shopping for somebody to tell them what they wanted to hear rather than what God had said. So they aligned themselves with Eve in the garden. They allowed their feelings to become their faith, and their faith took short shrift. You know what happens when we allow our feelings to override faith, which is believing God and taking him at his word? You know what happens? We give an open door to fear. That's one of the main entries to fear, and fear has torment. So many of those people, and I've had a number of them comment to me in private conversations, sometimes in emails that I will receive, how their life has been affected and they fear even for their salvation because they dissed what God had said. They didn't really have a biblical worldview. They had knowledge about the Bible. Some were extremely knowledgeable about the Bible but they didn't follow the knowledge that they had. And so they found themselves in fear, and many in actual torment. First of all, with regard to that kind of fear, there's only one remedy. Would you like to know what it is? Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Not making excuses, just confession and repentance. And wonderfully, since we are all sinners, and our only hope is through the unmerited favor of God called his grace, when we truly confess our sin 
and truly repent and turn from it and make it public even with our kids, with our grandkids, with with our congregations and so on. In other words, when we truly come clean with what has happened, then God says, I see that hand. He says, I will forgive your sin. If we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, in other words, if we say we we, we hide it and we pretend that, well, it wasn't really sin or I, I did this, or I didn't know, we try to make excuses, we try to cover up, there's no forgiveness. Because forgiveness requires that we come clean in order to receive God's pardon. When you receive God's pardon, fear is lost. You win the battle against fear. The torment is gone. Because otherwise, salvation wouldn't mean anything. And Repentance wouldn't mean anything. Confession wouldn't mean anything. Now, don't get me wrong. Confession alone is not sufficient. Confession may be good for the soul. It might be a nice catharsis. But God doesn't require just confession. He requires repentance. Turning from. And going exactly the opposite way. Now, that's one area of battle. When we fight fear. Fightings and fears within, without. We're going to talk about other kinds of fear. Maybe, for instance, it's the fear of the COVID virus. Do you know what has motivated people to obey Dr. Fauci even when his positions changed every other day? every other week, and they're still changing. And he calls it science. No, friends, it's not science. There may be have, have been a smattering of science involved, but there were a whole lot of other things that were involved, like politics and pressure and money and manipulation a lot of things that were involved, and Christians didn't have discernment. Because they were so fearful, their fear paralyzed them from having discernment. And so they were going to run around and follow every single thing that was said, as if it were gospel, following the lordship of political science, That's really what it was, science politicized, political science. And they're still walking around in fear. Now, this very day, this very day, we received another report coming out of the CDC. And those who were tied in with Dr. Fauci saying, you know what? One vaccine isn't going to do it. A second vaccine isn't going to do it. And we're becoming more and more convinced that you're going to have to have one every year. 
You know why? Because it's not a vaccine. We've been trying to tell you that. It's not a vaccine. It's not providing absolute immunity. It just isn't. That wasn't its purpose. But we chose to believe what we wanted to believe because we wanted to believe it. Why? Because of fear. Because of fear. We have to admit it, friends. We have to come clean and admit. Because if we don't admit it, we're going to continue in the paralysis of fear, and we're going to be subject to the Pied Piper leaving us, leading us over the cliff. And that's not just true with the matter of the coronavirus. That's true with regard to virtually every decision of our lives. And yes, even whether we will follow God when the new world order comes into place. Will you? Are you sure? We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. We're fighting fear here today on Viewpoint. It's the hidden war within. And there are many reasons for it. The number one reason for fear is we just don't trust God. Unfortunately, that is the simple answer. We don't trust God. So the remedy for fear is trusting God. Now, you can't trust God if you don't agree with him. And you can't agree with him unless you trust him. And you won't obey him unless you trust him. And if you don't obey him, you're going to have fear. Because your whole spiritual system, you see, we're spiritual beings. Our whole spiritual system is out of whack. And fear grips us when we don't trust God. I know you don't want to hear it quite so simply. You want to have all kinds of other excuses and reasons why. But bottom line is, we are fearful because we don't trust God. The foundation of our faith is messed up. George Barna, in his Cultural Research Center, came out with another piece. The Christian church is seriously messed up. Christians are professing Christians are developing more and more decidedly unchristian beliefs. Syncretism rules the day. In other words, it's an admixture of all kinds of different beliefs and feelings. And feelings, by the way, have become the predominant aspect of our so-called Christian faith in America. 
56% of respondents who identify as Christian and who attend evangelical churches profess that having some type of religious faith is more important than that which faith a person aligns with. Some type of faith. What does that mean? In other words, you claim to be spiritual. Now, we are created as spiritual beings. We know that. So just being spiritual isn't the answer. It's whether or not your life as a spiritual being is aligned with God who gave you life. Fifty-six percent of professing Christians who identify as Christians who attend evangelical or Pentecostal churches profess that having just some type of religious faith is more important than that which, than the faith which a person aligns with. And it shouldn't be surprising, among mainline Protestant churches, 67% believe that. And among Catholics, 77%. When asked if one could qualify for heaven by being good or doing good, compared to the belief that salvation comes only from embracing Christ as Savior, 41% of professing evangelicals said that if a person is generally good or does enough good things in their life, they will earn a place in heaven. That view was shared by 77% of Roman Catholics. Now, Yes, it is necessary to believe that righteousness, salvation comes by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, but of God. That's fundamental, my dear man Watchman, Watson. But that alone without it becoming a living reality in every other applicational area of your life, is not going to help you win the battle against fear. It's just a fact. It's a religious fact. What God is calling us to do is live by faith. That's not just a New Testament uh, uh, belief. Habakkuk 2.4 is the one that first gives us that phrase. Right in the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. So the Apostle Paul picks up on that. In the book of Romans, the just shall live by faith. He suddenly had his his eyes open. Martin Luther did. Suddenly had his eyes open and found that faith was in the Old Testament. It was always that way. The just shall live by faith. Here's my question for you. Do you live by faith? I'm not saying, do you have a faith? I'm asking whether you live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? It's very simple. It means to take God at his word and live your life accordingly. To take God at his word and live your life accordingly. So you don't dance with the devil You don't uh, do a little dalliance when you come across things in the Word of God that you don't like. That's what's happening to millennials, for instance. Here's the latest result for for them. Only 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview, defined as believing that absolute moral truths exist, as defined by the Bible. 
and the results were much better for Generation Xers. They only had a 5% worldview. The highest biblical worldview came among baby boomers and those older than them, the great generation, You can see, indeed, professing Christians are messed up. And fear is one of the premier characteristics of why and how we're messed up. God does not want you to be in fear. He wants you to live by faith. Do you know what the Christian life is about? The Christian life is about Aligning your your mind, your heart, your will, your purposes, your goals, your hopes, your dreams, your activities, everything with the Word of God. That's what the Christian life is. As a demonstration of your reborn relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason, one of the main reasons why so many professing Christians are terrified or fighting fear and anxiety is because they claim to be born again, but their life hasn't changed. Their values haven't changed. Their trust in God hasn't really changed. They're trusting the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. They're trusting the U.S. government. They're trusting uh, the Democratic Party. They're trusting the Republican Party. They're trusting the Pope. They're trusting... Uh, George Barna, they're trusting uh, uh, Joe Biden, they're trusting Donald Trump, they're trusting everything but God. It's a plague on us. My question, again, is, actually it's not my question, it's God's question. Do you really trust him? Do you really trust him? Now, let's apply this in some areas. <clears throat> Speaking of fighting fear, you know, when uh, Joshua was told by God to go in and take possession of the promised land, Moses was gone. Joshua now had been handed the baton to lead the children of Israel, God's children, into the promised land. They were children according to the promise, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, heirs according to the promise. But Joshua knew they had a problem. You know what their problem was? They didn't believe God. They trusted their feelings and the circumstances, and they didn't trust God. And it was a pox upon the entire congregation. It caused thousands of them to die because they didn't believe God. And they murmured and they complained and they murmured and they complained. You know what one of the signs of fear and anxiety is? Murmuring and complaining. Why would you murmur and complain if you were trusting God? Just a question, just asking. Why would you do that? It's because down deep, don't quite really trust him. No, I know that he's God. I know that he's omnipotent. I know that he's omniscient. I know that he's omnipresent. But you notice it's always but 
But you don't understand. But you don't understand what I'm going to have to do. You don't understand what's going to happen if the mark of the beast comes. And the Bible says that if I take the mark of the beast, then I won't be able to eat, and I'm not going to be able to buy things, and I'm not going to be able to sell things, and I'm not going to be able to conduct business. Then what am I going to do? Notice the thinking. It's not about trusting God at all. In fact, people who ask those kinds of questions openly and continually are revealing their fleshly thinking. Not faith thinking, fleshly thinking. They haven't yet come to a place in their life where they have cast their entire life upon Christ. Yes, we hold this treasure in these earthen vessels. We do. We all do. And that's why we all are engaged in this fight. This is the biggest fight right now within the church. It's not just a fight of what we believe. It's a fight of living what we say we believe. That's where the big fight is. So here's Joshua. He's heading into the promised land, and he comes upon Jericho. Walls reaching up to heaven. Now, there was high walls, fortified. Now what are we going to do? So God tells him what to do. Look, you take the people and you march them around the walls one time every day for six days. And on the seventh day, you march around seven times. And then you give a great shout, and I'll take care of it. Joshua knew that that wasn't going to fly well with the people. They were God's kids. So he gave them an instruction. And when we get back from this break, I'm going to tell you what that instruction was. You're going to be able to relate to it. Yes, you are. It's how he dealt with fear about the congregation. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Fighting fear, the hidden war within. So Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land, and they come to Jericho, and God gives specific instructions. 
Now, they're not the kind of instructions that you would expect to be given to a general like Joshua, who was a man of faith, true courage. God had told him, Moses had told him, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. God gives you that message today, right now. Be strong and courageous. How do you do that? Words are cheap. And Joshua knew, given the background of these three million people, or however many there were, that had come out of Egypt, that if he did not do something to corral them to faith and trust, they would destroy themselves and would never be able to take Jericho or the Promised Land. So here's what he said. Say nothing. Do not open your mouth. Say absolutely nothing while you're marching around those walls. In absolute silence, say nothing. And on the seventh day, say nothing during each one of those rounds around the city, the seven times, and then when I give you the instruction, give a great shout. That's when you can speak. Now, why did he do that? Because they had a history of fear, murmuring, complaining, lack of trust, and the individual lack of trust of one metastasized to the fear and lack of trust as others, and it spread like wildfire through the congregation and made it impossible for them to walk fearless before God. Do you have a problem with your tongue? Do you have a tongue of faith or a tongue of murmuring and complaining? Are you always talking about the problem or are you talking about the God who has promised you that he would provide all your needs? Where would your words line up? Next. The children of Israel were encamped in the Elah Valley. On the other side were the Philistines, challenging Israel to put up their dukes and fight. Then, as you know, the Philistines put up their mascot, a living mascot called Goliath, nine and a half feet tall. You probably have never seen. I've never seen a person nine and a half feet tall. I've seen one eight and a half feet tall, but not nine and a half. And he terrified the children of Israel. Now, bear in mind, King Saul, the first king of Israel, stood head and shoulders above all the other men of Israel. In other words, he was a big dude. He commanded authority. But before Goliath, he was a wimp. He could not corral the soldiers of Israel. And they were terrified, paralyzed with fear. Then a young punk kid by the name of David came in. 
His daddy had sent him there to bring food to his brothers who were in the army. And when he heard what Goliath was taunting the people with, he said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And that spirit of confidence and courage so gripped those that heard it, they took him directly to King Saul and said, listen to this guy. So Saul tried to put his earthly armor on him, and David couldn't take that. He was a a teenager. So he said, let me at this guy. All I need is five smooth stones and my sling. I killed the bear. I killed the lion. Who is this guy? He's nothing. Not in the face of God. Now, isn't it interesting? We like to tell that story. We tell it to our children, but we never quite grasp its significance. What was the difference between David and Saul and all the other valiant men of Israel that weren't so valiant? They were paralyzed by fear. The difference is that David trusted God. He knew God. He didn't know about God. He knew God. The problem that professing Christians in America have today is we know a lot about God, but we just don't know him. Most of the teaching that goes on in American churches today and on the radio and so on is about passing on knowledge or information about God. But God never commanded us to be informed. He commanded us to be transformed. How do you transform? You have to apply the word of God. That's what we're doing. That's what we do every day here on this program. Yes, it's filled with information. But it's about change. You make the choice to align with God's word, will, and ways, and he'll help you make the change, but you have to make the choice. So David took down Goliath, and the Bible said, but there was no sword in David's hand. Where was the sword? In his mouth, the word of God. Because the word of God is alive and sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword and pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and discerns even the thoughts and the intents of our minds and hearts, including the fear that is raging there. If we don't win the battle against fear, friends, we will not win the battle of faith. Because fear is the greatest enemy. And it reveals our lack of trust which is the number one thing that God is looking for, revealed by our obedience. The children of Israel were panicked. The Midianites had paralyzed them. And God came to a fellow by the name of Gideon. He was a nobody. He was hiding when the angel came to him and said, Rise, you mighty man of valor. You're going to defeat the Midianites. Who, me? But when Gideon led the people, the men, against the Midianites, the cry was this, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. 
what happened to Gideon from the time that he was paralyzed in fear to leading the people, declaring the sword of the Lord of Gideon? He had a massive transformation of trust. And that's what we need. That's what we need for times like these. Now, some people have been terrified when we talk about the pre-trib rapture not really being uh, found in the Bible, which is true. Even the most prominent so-called prophetic voices in the land that preach a pre-trib rapture admit and have admitted right here on this program many times that there is no place in the Bible that specifically talks about a pre-trib rapture. Now, I didn't say a rapture. I said a pre-trib rapture. That is, before any difficulties take place, massive difficulties, tribulation, pressure, uh, and those kinds of things. So people will say, well, I was led to believe there was a pre-trib rapture. I want to believe that, and I can't, I, I can't not believe that because it terrifies me and I'm in fear and uh, I don't know what to do about it, what will happen if I take the mark of the beast and so on. So I don't want to believe that I might have to take the mark of the beast or I might even present it with that, so I prefer to believe in a pre-trib rapture. Really, you know what the motivation for that belief is? It's not belief at all, and it's not faith. It's fear. It's fear. That is the motivation for believing in the pre-trib rapture. Because we don't want to believe and think that we might actually have to trust God in really difficult circumstances. Well, my good friend, do you not think those really difficult circumstances have already come upon the earth and are coming in spades? How about more people having lost their lives as martyrs for the faith, the Christian faith, in the last 100 years than in all the previous 2,000 years combined. Did they get raptured out? No. You see, what we're doing is teaching something and believing something that goes against reality, goes against all of the evidence, and is not even clearly supported in the Word of God. So what should we do to defeat that fear? Would I hope that there would be a pre-trib rapture? Sure. Who wouldn't? But friends, you can't put your hope in that. Are you going to put your hope in the fact that no truck is going to come down the street, so you're going to let your children play out in the street and play pretend that there is no problem there? No. You're going to warn them. You're going to prepare them. And that's what the Word of God does. It prepares us. It warns us in all the warnings of Scripture about the end times and the things that are coming upon the earth are directed to believers, not pagans. Why the warnings? Because God is a loving Father, and he wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him. You say, but I don't know what I'll do. Blah, 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 blah. Check your mouth, my friend. Check your mouth. Your tongue 
is getting you in trouble. And when you speak distrust and fear, you are actually creating a fear engine in your own life that is defeating you, making it impossible for you to trust God. And then you can't figure out why you're so fearful. This may sound like it's coming strongly, but it's coming out of compassion. God does not want you to be paralyzed with fear or anxiety. Do you not think that I have every much reason like you to fear? People tell me all the time, how can you do what you do for 26 years? How can you do that and not be afraid? I don't even think fear. Fear is not even part of my vocabulary in this regard. I'm about the master's business. I'm doing what he asked me to do. We've got to trust God, friends. It's, it, 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 it actually is quite simple. That's what you want from your children, isn't it? You want them to take you at your word as a loving mother, a loving father, a loving grandparent. You want them to trust you. That's what God wants. Only trust me. Now come to him just as you are. Fightings and fears within without. Confess it to the Lord. Come clean before him. If he begins to reveal to you some of the areas why you have fear, agree with him, friends. Agree with him. Take the pressure off. He wants you to love him by obeying him by faith. Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint today. I hope this has been helpful to some. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Become a partner with us. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Appreciate your calls. Appreciate your emails. Keep pressing on, friends. Remember, the just shall live by faith. Take your God. This Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.